Hey y'all, it's Brawl. Welcome to another episode of the Complete Roller Derby Survival Guide Podcast. Um, this episode is going to be with T-Dub Tawanda. She is someone that I met through Blue Ridge Roller Derby, my current league, and she's the fucking sweetest. Um, in this episode, we are chatting at her bakery in Candler, North Carolina. And you might hear some little chirps or noise, noises in the background. Um, I think the mic did a pretty good job of isolating our voices, or at least her voice. T-Dub and I cover a range of topics in this podcast episode, but generally we're talking about wellness culture, diet culture, um, how body size plays into like self-perception and others' perception of us as athletes. Um, Both of us are plus-size derby skaters, um, and I have an episode about wellness culture in derby from last season that you can go listen to if you haven't already. We cover some similar topics, but this is more of like a a lens through T-Dub's experience, which is the point of the second season of this podcast, is to get more perspectives and hear from more experiences throughout the derby world. Um, You'll hear T-Dub's intro from herself in a minute, but she's been playing for 11 years, I believe, playing roller derby for about 11 years. And although we have a similar experience now, and we have a lot of like aligning experiences. I think that she brings a different, obviously, but like I think she brings a different perspective to this conversation. And I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Okay. So, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Complete Roller Derby Survival Guide podcast, longest name in the world. Um, this is Tita. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my full derby name is Tawanda. Um, shortened to T-Dub, like T-W. Um, let's see. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I've been skating. So I started my roller derby career with Blue Ridge Roller Derby in 2013. And I spent a year being a skater tot. Um, I think we called them like derby babies at the time, but then changed the program to skater tots because I think that's way more adorable. Um, that and just means like level one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's before like fresh meat. So like okay. passing all of your minimum skills and then you're able to um, make contact. Right. Our Blue Ridges program has like come night and day from where that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty much you would practice on the like beginner side of the skating rink when we actually had a skating rink. Like, <laughs> Night and day. Yeah. Um, and and like practice on your own. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and weren't really involved until you passed assessments. Okay. Um, so I did that for about a year because they only had tryouts once a year. Um, and then I skated with them for probably three years, mostly as a um, French broad at the time. Mm-hmm. That was our B team level. Um, 
And then I left there and I went to skate with Appalachian Roller Derby. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a crossover skater with their B team, the Boonshiners and the Uh All-Stars for probably like two and a half years. And then I stopped playing for probably about a year. And then I went to Smoky Mountain. And I have skated with Smoky Mountain on and off this whole time. They're kind of a sister league in the area, but more rec level. Okay. And then I was there until COVID and then I got pregnant mm-hmm. and I came back and started helping with Blue Ridge new skaters and their derby school program um, in 2021, maybe 2022. It was the beginning of 2022. Yeah. Um, and then I had my daughter and now I'm back to skating full time. Okay. Yeah. Cool. How many years is that in terms of like your derby career? Um, not including like, co- like total time, yeah. about eleven years. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And what would you say like your? How did you feel when you first rolled up to derby? Like, what was your experience level when you got there? So in middle school, I did some like artistic skating on roller skates. It was really fun. I honestly started skating because of a dare program. Like every Thursday night, the middle schoolers would like, uh, it must have been middle school, um, would go have like a teen skate night Mm -hmm. um, and the dare officers were there and it was, yeah, ridiculous. Um, But it was like cheap roller skating so I was in and then I noticed some signs up for like skating lessons and I convinced my mom to do it um yeah I didn't realize how much effort my parents put into making roller skating succeed for me until afterwards but it occurred to me in the last year that we only had one kid a car growing up Uh and so my mom and I would walk from one side of Warwick to the other side just to go roller skating on like Saturday mornings for my lessons yeah um and like she had my little sister in a stroller and like we'd walk and that's cool. So it didn't occur to me how yeah. mu- like important that was to me and how much that invested into me. Yeah. So anyways, I had that. And so I had skated, but like in terms of athleticism and everything, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like wheels on my feet. Yeah. yeah always have. Relatable. Okay. <laughs> cool. And this episode, I will have already said in the intro that I'm going to record but we are going to talk about like body size, wellness culture, and like diet culture maybe, and how those lenses relate to roller derby and how we personally have experienced those things in derby. But we're doing this as like, um, I almost said Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, like self-love, love your body, positive yeah. message. So. Yeah. And by the way, if you hear little chirps in the background, I have my almost two-year-old, she's 19 months next week, yeah. running around in the background. And we're at T-Dub's Bakery called Budge's. Yeah. Yeah. Having delicious coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you kind of touched on like your athletic or like skating background, but what was your like body experience or like wellness culture experience before coming to Derby and did Derby change that for you? Yeah. So this has been like my whole, if there was a theme throughout my life, it would be trying to figure out what the purpose of my body is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it, I've always been a larger body or like a bigger human being mm-hmm. size wise. So I'm super tall. I'm like five foot 11, um, and heavier because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all throughout like growing up that just made me stick out and separate me from everyone else in my like peer group. Um, on top of that, my dad had a lot of chronic illnesses. Um, he was diabetic. He had some heart attacks, uh, because of his diabetes, he had, um, limited mobility. And then towards the end of his life, his retinas detached. And so he was legally blind. Um, also weight issues because of all of that. So, and on top of that, mental health issues. He was also, um, he was diagnosed bipolar. I think if he were diagnosed again now, it would be a different diagnosis. Um, so I grew up with a lot of that and being the oldest like daughter and oldest everything in my that side of the family, it all kind of like fell on my shoulders. Um, so be, growing up in a household with a chronically ill family member, there's a lot of conversation that comes around like lifestyle choices. Um, and then my mom was very much a bigger bodied human being, Mm. um, who grew up in a household of small bodied women. Mm. And so there was also a lot of like conversation of weight loss throughout. I remember stealing some of her diet pills in high school and like not having any guidance on how to use them. So Mm. like I literally almost passed out in gym class And, but at the same time, having no concept of being an athlete in my body, Mm -hmm. because I was just told, oh no, you're too big to be an athlete or you're too big to run Mm -hmm. or, so it's a really complicated, tangled thing Mm -hmm. of all of these different pressures from like trying to be healthy on the one hand so that I don't end up like my dad Mm -hmm. and trying not to put too much pressure on myself so that I don't end up doing all of these fad diets like my mom. Right. Yeah. So you've seen like both, I don't know if that's two ends of a spectrum, but kind of is. It's and... the different like facets of the same spectrum. And yeah. It's kind of like when you talk about um, gender issues, like mm-hmm. you talk about the effect that it has on women, but then you don't realize like mm-hmm. the effect it has on masculinities and the roles that men have to like play into. Yeah societal takes things away from them as well yes totally and how obviously that experience like affected how you view your body i'm sure and like until you got to derby what did you what was your answer to like what your body was for for appearances i mean i think almost any woman at least in or female identifying individual would um say that until they have a different, like that's the default. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're taught by like media, everything. I mean, in general, it just seems like I'm spinning in circles. Um, no, you're, I hear you. <laughs> we're taught overall that like we are, our purpose, especially as female identifying or like them presenting people is is a to appear a yeah. certain way for the male gaze mm-hmm. mostly or in, i mean i think a lot yeah okay so the aspect of like relationships like mm-hmm. romantic relationships was definitely prevalent growing up a lot but there was also that pressure of you have to be aesthetically pleasing to have friends yeah too mm-hmm. and so 
the whole purpose of being an individual came down to looking good so that you complimented the other eye candy around you. Yeah. Which is not great at all. No. And it, yeah. I've thought a lot about or like done a lot of work with myself around this just because I think that a lot of my eating disorder habits stemmed from trying to acquire social currency, especially as like a high masking undiagnosed autistic person who like didn't know how to fit in. It was just like, if I look a certain way, a lot of groups don't care that I'm a little weird. <laughs> so it was like a way to get into certain places mm -hmm. and it is upsetting how much, especially in like the early 2000s when I was in like middle and high school, how much um, weight or like how much value we have put as a society onto appearances. Yeah. And there's like obviously so much more. Yeah. That's relevant. <laughs> well, and I think like the concept of social currency, like mm -hmm. I struggled a lot with forming relationships. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of it was the household I grew up in mm -hmm. because of my dad's particular brand of bipolar. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of codependency and not a lot of, until I went to college, there was not a lot of like internal thought. Yeah. It was all shared thought. Yep. Um, <laughs> and it, like part of this may be, we're discovering in that household growing up, there's a lot of neurodivergence that we didn't really identify mm -hmm. um, when I was living in that house. And yeah. so part of it's that mm -hmm. and the way we view relationships. But if there's no sense of self, you don't have an understanding of self in relationship with others. Yeah. And so the idea of like currency to establish those relationships outside of, it's like, what am I missing? What am I lacking? Why don't I have friends? And then it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm not thin enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Mm -hmm. And so you use all of those and try and fix all of that to yeah. buy those friendships. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then that in your own self-worth, obviously, it affects how you see yourself, obviously, not just how you're presenting right. yourself because you're not consciously like, oh, I mean, maybe for some of those things, but you're not necessarily consciously like, oh, if I present this way, I will have friends. That's not like necessarily a linear thought, but it is deeper in your psyche of like, I am not worth enough unless I right. am these things. So that then affects how you move through the world, like overall. Yeah. I think based on the conversations we've had before, maybe you've had a similar experience to me of like joining Derby and realizing that there is so much more you can do with your body than you ever imagined that you could. And you're so much stronger than you thought you were. And also just like the diversity of bodies in Derby generally is empowering. Yeah. So I joined Derby because I was scared of it. Um, <laughs> it cool. intimidated the shit out of me and I was tired of being told no. Like, I was tired of telling myself I'm not, I can't. Um, my grandmother used to read to me this poem, uh, you know, Shel Silverstein, mm -hmm. Listen to the Muffins. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that was my theme throughout that first year of, like, trying to pass assessments of, like, if I say I can't, that means I have to try harder and fucking do the thing. Uh, language, okay. 
Yeah. Okay. It's labeled as explicit. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, because I just realized I have no filter. Oh, I don't either. That's why they <laughs> attack. <laughs> um, so like Derby scared me. I was working at a coffee shop in Black Mountain and um, Voodoo, Big Daddy Voodoo, who was our announcer at the time, mm-hmm. and Dragon Slayer, mm-hmm. um, both who like come to our game still, and they're amazing people. Yeah, uh, came into the shop, and I was like fangirling over Dragon, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I want to play Derby. How cool is this? Yeah. And she's like, well, try on start tonight. Why don't you come? And I'm That's like, such cool timing. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'll come, but I'm not trying out. Um, which is how I ended up like skating for literally a whole year, yeah. Um, without being oh, able I to see. like yeah. pass assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the fact that it was so intimidating, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. My body is not capable of that. And I'm like, but I really want to. Yeah. Um, and I was determined. Like my dad had had, I think, a heart attack at this point, and he was very sick for a while and was on dialysis, and it triggered a point in me where I was like. I need to make a difference in my life so that I don't die at 35 or whatever. Right. Um, which is really funny. Today I'm 35. Yay. So I made it. Cheers. <laughs> um, but so I was terrified. It was seemed like something that I wasn't capable of doing it because it was athletic. Yeah. Um, and that's another theme like throughout my career of derby of like athleticism not being something that's available to me. Um, and, but it also seemed like something that was fun and badass and that I really wanted to cultivate in myself. Um, so I think there was just a part of me that was saying, fuck it, I'm going to try my hardest and there's nothing that I've like set my mind to that I haven't been able to accomplish. So I don't know. It's a weird combination of like having no self-confidence and way too much self-confidence yeah. at the same time. I can really, <laughs> yeah, I think that was kind of. I I like the intention of doing hard things because you've told yourself or other people have told you that you can't do them because that was kind of my experience going into derby as well is like I told people I signed up for this boot camp and they're all like what <laughs> <laughs> and I had a very athletic background and people were still like why would you do that to yourself or like yeah I think the perception of derby is very scary so it is intimidating yeah. to sign up for no matter what your background is, but especially if you have this narrative of like, I can't do athletic things. Mm-hmm. Did you like immediately feel empowered when you joined Derby or was it a hard like transition of thought? Um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool outside of the derby circle of saying, yeah, I'm doing this thing. Yes. I'm going and, I, you know, everybody's like, oh, my God, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. You're so much cooler than I am, blah, blah, blah. And so, like, but of course you have that internal monologue. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm not actually doing anything yet. Um, so there was that aspect of it where it was like, yeah, I am trying a hard thing. And that was empowering. Yeah. Um, and also, like the idea of doing something for myself and cultivating that space for this is designated to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was definitely an uphill battle. Like I mentally had an issue, like some things to overcome. Um, I think the league at the time also had some things to overcome, like in terms of social 
dynamics. Um, anytime you have a large group of people, unless there's been intentional thought put into it, you're going to have weird dynamics come out and you can have power hungry people and it can become, there could become issues of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely came across. And I don't think that there was as much intentional work into the social um, hierarchy or the social demographics of um, playing a group sport at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. And so things fell bef- through the cracks and <laughs> Emma has lots of opinions about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, I think it goes two ways. When I came back to Blue Ridge, I reached out to training and I said, Hey, I'm sorry for the way I left because I left pretty abruptly, um, because of some social dynamics. Um, and the person that reached back to me said, you know, I think we both have grown. Um, I don't want you to put that on yourself. The league was not in a place to support that type of relationship. So, um, circling back to the question, well, <laughs> yeah, I think it was just like, oh, did I feel empowered? Was, yeah. How, so you said that the like action of doing something hard or the decision to do something hard was empowering, but do you think there was a point, like it took time for you to reach the point of like doing Derby itself is the empowering part? Um, <laughs> That's a really hard question. Like, and I think I worded it a little weird, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, instead of it being the choice to do something hard was Derby, like the sport, when did that become? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They go hand in hand for me. I still at times feel like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill Mm -hmm. um, and that I'm never going to have like arrived. Um, but I also don't know if that's the point anymore. Yeah. Um, like I play a derby because the focus of playing derby shifted from doing something that was hard to, I play derby because there, are, uh, like, there's something in the sport itself yeah. that yeah. is rewarding. Yeah. Um, I don't, I guess it happened sometime in the like first three years of playing derby because, when given the choice between stopping skating or driving two hours to another league, I decided to drive two hours to another league so I could continue to be competitive yeah. and grow in a way that I wasn't being challenged. Yeah. Um, that was definitely a conscious choice. Yeah. So, yeah, I play derby for lots of reasons at, besides just like, this is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also is still one of the reasons. Like, <laughs> I'm constantly pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, um, which tells me what my body is capable of. And that's so cool. Um, And the fact that my body is capable of skating for, you know, I can skate in like three games back to back. um, And like, yeah, I'm exhausted and everything, but like I did it. Yeah. And I'm still playing decent derby by the end of it. Mm -hmm. So like I can, I'm capable of things that I never knew I was before. Um, But it's because I keep putting myself in precarious situations (laughs) because of Derby that I'm learning those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it's not just like physical too, it's emotional and mental as well. Um, Learning how to be part of a community, especially with the work that Blue Ridge has put in in the last year and a half in creating a 
sustainable, socially supportive community that's mm-hmm. beyond just skating. Like we're not individuals that come in and leave. We are individuals that come in, support each other, but are also responsible for our role in that as well. Yeah. Um, and growing as an individual, as part of that community is huge. Yeah. And yeah. super cool. And that's a huge shift in like my derby experience as well as like being part of Blue Ridge has challenged my emotional intelligence mm-hmm. for sure. Like I think most of the people I have surrounded myself, especially in sports situations have been like my emotional intelligence for less, mm-hmm. you know, and there are so many people at Blue Ridge who are doing a lot of emotional work and that, you know, in order to participate in a way that I think is correct yeah. or like in line with what our goals are as a league, I have had to like check myself quite a lot, which I think is not really an experience I've had in derby and or any sport in a positive way so i think it's really cool like how much work we've put in or you guys have put in before i got here um to make it that way because that is a big part of derby should be a big part of derby is like the community behind it yeah and i honestly can't think of another group of people that are putting in that type of work um I bring it up to my therapist. I'm like, yeah, this subject came up at the league meeting or whatever. And she's like constantly saying, I hope you know (laughs) that this is like more investment, like socially than anyone is doing. Like your relationships with your teammates. Like, I don't know most couples that can have those conversations. Yeah. Um, And that's really fucking cool. Yeah. I think it's also the way to build a sustainable league Mm -hmm. Um, because this is not something that we're getting paid for. It's something that we're paying to do. Um, And it's something that is not sustainable. So we need to have something that is sustainable that makes people want to come back. And Mm -hmm. if like playing roller derby and having your individual goals, that's one thing, but doing it with a group of other individuals, that's something that is sustainable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're mutually feeding. Yeah. Yeah. In a different direction. Yeah. Something I wanted to ask you about. I had asked Batty a similar question because she's been playing for much longer than me. And I think you guys have been playing around the same amount of time, maybe. So maybe you've seen the same like cultural shift in Derby. I asked her, um, like, what was the like, I know that body positivity wasn't necessarily a thing when she joined Derby, but like what was the vibe in terms of wellness culture, diet culture, body positivity when you joined Derby and how have you seen it evolve? So when I started skating, I would say, okay, so first and foremost, I want to say this is only my experience. And I know that my mental health was not the best. And I put myself very much in a victim headspace. Mm. Um, Well, I don't know if I put myself there. That's a whole nother conversation. But I was very much in a victim headspace when I started playing derby. And so a lot of it felt like everything was against me. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some societal factors that contributed to that. Um, A lot of that was, I'm a larger body, never done 
well, okay. I say you've never done anything athletic. I was a sideline cheerleader in high school. I was on like the dance team. Like I did more like fun athletic things. Like I liked to move my body, but I would not consider myself an athlete. I still have a hard time with that term. You're definitely an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I definitely didn't look athletic. I still can't run. Well, okay. It's that C word and I don't like that word. I saw you run the other day and you did great. But the whole time I was having a like mental breakdown um, and was having a hard time trying to talk myself out of, I was spiraling. So we had a practice the other day (laughs) where we focused on derby starts, um, jam starts, and we did a lot of running. Um, Off skates, like warm up running. Yeah. So off skates and, um, like sprinting back and forth and relay style. Yeah. Um, and one, anytime where I'm a part of something athletic, quote unquote, usually involving running, um, with others, like where I'm a part of a team, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm letting them down. Mm -hmm. There's like so much pressure on myself to be perfect. Um, and then two, my body is not compatible with running. It's so much pressure. So I don't know. I don't weigh myself numbers on a thing. I know I'm more than like 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of pressure on your knees. Yeah. And then on top of that, in the last two years, I've had a C-section and then I had some laparoscopic surgery, correcting some stuff as a result from the surgery, the C-section. Okay. Um, so like there's a lot going on in my body. I'm pretty heavy chested. My belly is just about as big as my chest. Like it all flaps. There's pressure. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, so my brain just like shuts down and it says, oh my God, you're a failure. You suck. You're slower than everyone else. What do you even look like? You seem so silly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like ridiculous what's going through my head. Yeah. And I was crying. Like I was tearing up after we did the first relay back and forth. I had to like step back, take a few deep breaths. And then I rejoined. Um, yeah. It's really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. But then I also, after that practice, because there was a lot of talk of intention going into that practice of like, hey, vulnerability for me. I don't like this. It makes me nervous. It brings up a lot of my like issues with athleticism and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some great feedback of like, we're just trying to hold ourselves accountable, working on form, um, building ourselves. And that acknowledgement of meeting ourselves where we're at mm-hmm. and growing those muscles is the important thing and the focus. Yeah. Um, it was great for me to then have all of that language in my head. So after I like freaked out a little bit, took a few deep breaths, I could like look around and see, I actually probably wasn't the slowest person at practice. Um, I'm probably a little bit more coordinated than one or two people, which is cool. <laughs> You know, yeah. like it's yeah. really cool to be able to see that and acknowledge it instead of just being narrow it down on myself for mm-hmm. what I think are like my gaps in ability. Well, and acknowledge that you did the thing, even yeah. though it wasn't something that your brain wanted you to do. And I think a lot of people on our league specifically are very small bodied and don't have that experience of being told, we're just going to run every day. Like, yeah. It's fine. And like, <laughs> I think it's also different. Like when you talk about body weight movements and stuff like that, or if we all do the same warm up, 
which we do. So at Blue Ridge, we do an off skates warm up before practice. Um, I have to make several modifications for where my body's at. Um, It may not be because I don't know why. I don't know why it's harder for me. It might be that I'm twice or three times the like physical weight of someone. Yeah. So doing a lot of up and down is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that I just don't do those movements every day. And some people are physical trainers and they do that, you know, like, yeah. but making those, having the space to call out and say, Hey, I need to make these modifications or, mm-hmm. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing with this. What is the intention of the movement mm-hmm. and what can I do instead if my body is not getting into the right position um, to accomplish that same goal yeah. uh, is super helpful. Yeah. 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 And I think we have space for that on our lead for sure, which is awesome. Cause yeah, I don't do the up and down stuff. If yeah. we're doing plank to burpee type thing, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a plank for the entire time. I'm not jumping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for some of that, I will do the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I won't do the. Um, I have a hard time with like the Mario jumps because mm-hmm. my knee's been. I've had an IT band thing since my pelvis has been like weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I just do less at a slower speed so that I can focus on the form. Yeah. Um, because I found my body needs a really long stretch mm-hmm. and like that's why the point of doing those movements is so that we stretch out those muscles um before we go into building yeah yeah the yeah warmth yeah <laughs> yeah and i think like asking if a trainer or someone doesn't present the reasoning behind something partially just my brain but also like the I don't know. I always have to ask what the intention is behind things so that I can reframe it for myself. And when I know the intention behind something, it's a lot easier to participate in like running, for example, for me was always like a, like a self-harm type of thing where I was just like, you are terrible and you should go on a run because it sucks (laughs) and you deserve that. Um, and also a like in order to maintain thinness or return to thinness kind of a thing like everybody in my life or like most of the authority figures in my life were always like you should run because that's how you maintain or return to being thin and the amount of times that that's been said to me outweighs the number of times that someone has like presented the reasons to run aside from weight (laughs) and now that I have like over emphasized the other reasons like I want to be fast on the track or I want to have endurance and I've done a ton of research into why I run the workouts that I run and I run in a very different way than I used to run now I like running again but I have also experienced that like I hate running. I'm not doing it like a solid, like three years of like, I will not be running unless I have skates on my feet. (laughs) Right. I don't have any good reason right now that I would ever want to run besides maybe being chased by a bear. Yeah. It's painful. Right. Not fun. (laughs) Like my body is uncomfortable doing it. Yeah. I can accomplish the same thing more efficiently with skates on my feet. So I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Um, if I want a good cardio workout, I'll use the rower. I will do stair climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, anything less impactful. Yeah. Like, yeah, for yeah. me, <laughs> there is so much 
benefit in doing something more efficiently. Like running just seems so stupid. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> There's no good reason to do it. Yeah. Even like a few months ago, I went on a rant at Dustin where I was like, my parents told me I should just go on a walk or a run longer for more days of the week or whatever in order to lose weight. And I was like, that is the dumbest like solution that they could have proposed because that is putting, it's damaging my body. Right. <laughs> and like they, I think a lot of people who think that like they're, my perspective at that specific time was like a lot of people when I say I do derby are like, oh my God, are your knees okay? And I'm like, I mean, they hurt sometimes, but they're fine. Um, you don't say the same thing to runners who are like actively jumping onto their knees at a high rate. Mm. Yeah. And but, they all have issues with their knees. Well, and I think that brings up a lot with running specifically and like the idea of wellness culture and being the ideal shape. Um, you're just told, oh, get more steps in, get more steps in. And I don't think a lot of people recognize all of the different factors that come into what a weight deals with. Like one, yeah. so we have the whole like concept of the ideal weight and that everyone should be thin and gorgeous and blah, blah, blah. Sure. We kind of talked about how that's bullshit. Yeah. But then you talk about how do you maintain that and the thoughts that come with, if you're not, if you choose to throw away that concept, like if I have worked the last 14 years, probably longer than that, probably like the last 20 years trying to be at a place where I can accept my body where it's at. Mm -hmm. um, my husband said to me a few weeks ago, like, it's okay to not love your body. Just being okay with it is an, a great place to be. Yeah, um, and I have really kind of adapted that. Yeah. Um, but like getting to the point where I can just be okay where I'm at fucking huge and it's still hard every day but like accepting that my body is this way and not putting my pressure on it to change it mm -hmm. um and that's radical thinking yeah which is fucking huge but also like i guess the point i'm trying to say is there's so many people that just say well if you just do something athletic i started playing derby so I would thin down. Mm -hmm. I had this automatic thought of, okay, I'll be more athletic and then I'll be thinner. Yeah. And that's bullshit. Yeah. When you like accept, okay, I'm going to be in a large body and that's just the way it is. It's rejecting the idea that I have to be thinner and it's rejecting the idea that there are all of these assumptions that come with thin people and then larger body people. Yeah. And so every day it's fighting that like, oh, you're a larger body person, you're not athletic, you're not someone that can do, you, you can't move heavy things, you yeah. can't, you know, I'm doing all of those things. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, more. Right, and, can, or like, I don't like to eat vegetables because I'm a, a bigger body, yeah. which is hilarious. Like, my husband and I argue all the time about what we're having for dinner because I don't like eating meat. <laughs> I will eat it occasionally, but like, I want to eat just a big bed of like raw veggies. That's ideally what my body craves. Yeah. Um, and someone looking at me in a larger body makes all of these big assumptions. And then I also like 
have to deal with my own head saying, oh, this person automatically thinks this about me, whether or not they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I gained a significant amount of weight, I had multiple people saying like, did you change what you're eating? And like, yes, I did. I'm eating enough now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just having these like, oh, you must not, you must have just like stopped caring and you must have like stopped eating healthy at all ever. And you must have quit exercise altogether. And while I did take a break from the gym for intentional reasons, that was not a, they're like, a big thing for me is like watching people cross a very personal boundary because you are in a larger body. They like think they have the right to do that, which is where our back of our head, like I think a lot of the like body positivity movement is encouraging people to just like accept their bodies, which is great. And we should do that. But there's also this thing of like, who cares what other people think? It's like, just, just matters what you think. But it's very hard when you've been conditioned to like expect people to comment on your weight or like on your ability because of the way that you look. It's hard to not assume that people are going to do that because that's your experience. So I'm going to put this out there with the caveat that all of the isms are entirely different. Mm -hmm. The way I liken it is similar to microaggressions with racism. Mm -hmm. um, you have like very obvious and blatant issues with any sort of phobia. Mm -hmm. um, the like, oh my God, you're a fat person. I can't believe you would you know, do that to yourself. You should just go kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Like that's some bullshit. Um, yeah. Very obvious. You can clearly identify that there is some hatred there. Yes. And then there's the like microaggression of, oh, you look really thin in those like pants today. Yeah. You look amazing. Like, oh my goodness, where did you get your outfit? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you're so snatched. Like, what the fuck? Um, that alone, even if it's like well-intentioned, is reflecting on, if I lose weight because I... Honestly, if I haven't been to practice, I usually drop a little bit of weight because my muscle mass is going down. Um, also, my body, when, okay, so I have insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. So the more I work out on top of my physically demanding job, I own a bakery. I also have an almost two-year-old. So I'm constantly moving. If I don't give my body time to let my cortisol levels drop, I pack on weight. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm actually doing more activity, I tend to get heavier. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm sick or something and I let myself rest for two weeks mm -hmm. to recover from an illness or whatever, I drop like 10 pounds maybe. Yeah. And so of course I come back to practice and the first comment is, oh my God, you look so good. What have you been doing? You know? And I'm like, it's not a positive. It's not a good change. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's finding that balance between wellness culture of like the more active grind, the better an athlete you are. And also like food and it's all overlaps and it's hard to dissect it. But um, coming back to the microaggressions, yeah. like the idea, we are so conditioned that weight loss is a good thing. 
or being in a thinner body is a good thing. Um, and we see that on the derby track too. Mm -hmm. Like the thinner bodies tend to get automatically thinned their jammers. Um, they're going to be faster, which sure they are, but that doesn't necessarily mean that jammers are, that's traditional derby. Yeah. Um, like yeah. A traditional mindset. A traditional, like, yeah. fast and small. Small. Yeah. Which, A, larger people can be fast, and B, the assumption part is, like, the issue. Instead of viewing someone's capacity, like, you are a great jammer. I love watching you jam. We have another jammer on our team who is not tiny, and she's like one of my favorite jammers to watch because she just blows through everybody and it's great. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really cool because over the years of Derby, so I've been playing since like 2013. Mm -hmm. um, well, I've been involved with the Derby community since 2013 and watching strategy evolve, like the gameplay, it's so cool because you have these tiny communities as larger parts of a larger community and they're even part of a larger community. So. Our particular league is under the WFTA rule set, WFTDA. Um, and they have an active rules committee that engages and changes and adapts based on how strategy evolves. And then it also allows, in some way, their influence on the strategy. Yeah. Um, so, like the implementation of um, not having, you can't have both jammers in the box. Mm -hmm. Like that rule evolution, I think that happened like around 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, it might have been a little bit later than that. Um, but the idea of you never have both jammers in the box, so there's constant game playing and constant scoring going on, yeah. which then adapted how the movement and the fast pack or a slower pack yeah. changes. Yeah. And your strategy of like, being really particular with cuts because if your jammer goes to the box, then their jammer is not in the box. Yeah. And so that has a larger direction. Like mm -hmm. that one rule impacted our uh, desire to want to draw more penalties on the other jammer mm, okay. because then our jammer is scoring points if there's yeah. always someone in the yeah. pack. Yeah. So watching that evolution of like strategy happen, and then watching how we've become more inclusive of body diversity, but only a few leagues have really embraced what that means for changing roles within their leagues. Mm -hmm. um, I think Rose City in particular does an amazing job of showcasing body diversity in the different roles. Yeah. Um, you have larger, larger bodies in different, like, shapes mm -hmm. like not even just small and big but like you have yeah. tall with skull eagle you've got more much tiny little thing but strong and jacked like it's amazing yeah but they do a really good job of like not looking at it as a jammer does this to be successful it's mm -hmm. what can your body do in this role to accomplish the task mm -hmm. um and it's a really cool evolution because then you see other like the coolest shit happened or like optimus grime like you would never expect him to be a jammer he's like this big old dude. viking <laughs> yeah. i love him and he just like tiptoes sprints around but yeah. he's also fucking strong yeah and so it's cool to see people 
doing things in unexpected ways mm-hmm. on the derby track. Yeah. And I think we need to find a way to incorporate that more into all leagues. Yeah, because when you pigeonhole someone instead of like tailoring your gameplay to their ability, like you're saying Rose City does, mm-hmm. when you pigeonhole someone, you limit the entire team's ability because you're not playing to everybody's strengths. You're just like doing what should we do, not being creative. But it's also an interesting thing in that derby is one of the few sports that allows for that space. Yeah. So how do you, like in a real way, how do we make that accessible for leagues? Yeah. Unless they have a history of doing it already. Yeah. So like when you're talking about intaking new skaters mm-hmm. um, or having people come that say, I want to play derby, but I've never done anything athletic, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so I was a cheerleader. I did dance, whatever. Don't run. Don't know how to, like, I've realized that I'm an incredibly strong, like physically strong person, but that's because my sister and I used to beat up on each other all the time. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was going to be, was going to be useful in derby until mm-hmm. I started doing derby. Yeah. But one of the first things that you learn is like, find a skater that you look like yeah. and see how you can resemble that. Mm-hmm. Well, Honestly, there's very few tall and big-bodied skaters out there, mm-hmm. except maybe Tarantula. So, like, that's great. But the role that I need to fill in my league right now is not compatible with the role that Tarantula skates with Rose City. Yeah. And so, or, you know, I might have different things. Like, I might be a tall, big-bodied person, but I have a super long torso, Mm -hmm. and maybe the person I'm watching doesn't have a long torso. They have long legs. So my body's going to move differently. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And so how do you create – how do you flip the script so that you're teaching people to listen to their body, be in tune with their body, when they may not have had any relationship with their body before? Mm -hmm. Um and figure out how their body moves and how their body moves like in a way that's going to accomplish the skills. Yeah. And I think boiling it down to, well, this is the intention behind this and saying, if you can figure out how to get from point A to point B and accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in a different way with your body, fucking play with it, figure yeah. it out. Confuse like, the other team. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like, and then that's when the best shit happens. And where you have people like Optimus Grime tiptoeing and jumping all over mm-hmm. and doing weird shit because their body is built differently. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. No. Rant over. <laughs> I don't know. I always kind of saw the issue with like pigeonholing people. When I first joined Derby, I was like, I always know that my body functions a little weirdly. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out like who I should be looking at in order to figure out how to move my body only made sense in like a very few cases. So I've kind of always been like, well, yeah, they look like me, but it doesn't work like that. Well, and like, that's the other thing is there's so many other factors that go into where we are as individuals. Yeah. So I think like the main thing that I hear in that conversation is bodies and like people as we are saying, are like so much more complicated and nuanced than just body size. And I think that's the main thing that gets swept under the rug with wellness and diet culture or like, yeah, unaddressed biases is we put people in boxes. 
that are not helpful. And the whole assumption of like, this is how you're a good derby skater. Yeah. Or like, there's so much money to be made off of new derby skaters, right? Um, you have like the gear and all of that, but then you also have the training programs mm -hmm. and they just cause more anxiety. Like you have this conversation. I was watching this stupid YouTube video about um, food choices mm -hmm. and how um, some people say like an apple is healthier than a Rice Krispie bar was the choice that or yeah, the example yeah. he uh -huh. gave. And okay, there <laughs> might be an argument made for that. However, like if all you eat is Rice Krispie bars, of course that's not a healthy choice. But if all you eat is apples, that's also not a healthy choice. <laughs> and there's room for all of those choices in a healthy diet. Um, but when I first started skating, it was, I have to do everything perfectly if I'm going to be the perfect skater. <laughs> and so I have to eat this many grams of protein and I have to do this. And my goal is to lose this much weight and like mm -hmm. the metrics mm -hmm. of like everything. Yeah. We're so mind boggling or I have to work out this much and I have to do this exercise and this exercise, but I wasn't factoring in that I worked in the labor industry my whole like career. Mm -hmm. So when I first started skating, I was working 40 hours a week trying to play derby and like 40 hours on my feet, not mm -hmm. yeah. a desk job. Correct. Like, so you talk about steps, you have to factor in how much labor intensity you're doing at your job too. Yeah. Or like if you're out, you know, hiking with your kids or whatever, or walking your dog every day, yeah. that factors into your wellness too. Yes. And so you have to think of it instead of what do I need to do to be healthy? It's what can I incorporate into my lifestyle? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that a lot of people try to reframe things into like, this is a lifestyle, not like a diet or whatever, but how you just said it is what I mean when I talk about a lifestyle change. It Well, it's what I mean, mean recently. I think up until recently, it was like, I need to go to the gym at 5 a.m. and then go to my desk job and take a break every half hour to get this many steps in because someone else told me that that's how to be healthy when that's not good for me. It's actually very, very bad for me. And I think the food example is a great one. Like if, you know, you're allergic to something then a food that someone else has deemed overarchingly healthy is not healthy for you. It could literally put you in the hospital. So like, I think we can take the same concept and apply it to movement in general and like derby skills of like moving my body in a certain way is not effective for me, even if it's effective for someone who is perceived similar, even if they're perceived similarly to me. And even beyond that, you have all the other isms too. Like, yeah. so currently my husband and I started our own business and money has been really tight. We've been living off of food assistance. Mm -hmm. And so that's meant a lot of pasta and rice, but that also means like, I, so I, with access to the food that I have, mm -hmm. there are choices that I know are going to make my body feel better. Yes. And if I, but that also means I shouldn't shame myself if I've worked 12 hours, I'm fucking exhausted, I have $5, I'm going to give myself a cheeseburger from McDonald's because it's what I can eat on the way to practice mm -hmm. rather than going to practice starting. Yeah. 
heal your body. Right. First. And yeah. if all you can afford is a fucking $2 cheeseburger from McDonald's, mm-hmm. then put it in your body or like a brownie from my bakery case. Like yeah. if that's what I have access to calories is better than no calories, mm-hmm. but it's making those smart choices and trying to figure out what's going to, how you can be the best where you're at instead of how to be the best and pushing yourself beyond that comfort zone, because that's when you're going to put yourself both physically and mentally mm-hmm. in jeopardy. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are a lot, like a lot more lenses to everybody's experience than right. like the one thing that they might be. And then you also as. have like all of the cultural influence on that too. So like, claiming white rice as the bad rice versus like brown rice or whatever you know saying that to someone from a different cultural background is going to have different significance than what it does to me where i didn't grow up really eating a lot of rice Mm -hmm. you know yeah um i grew up eating a lot of like sharice and (laughs) you know del's lemonade because Yeah. yeah what are some things that you like really appreciate about what derby gives to you or like derby culture and what is maybe like one thing you want to see change i think what i appreciate about derby and where things have been going with derby like it all goes hand in hand i'm a really hard person when it comes to like separating things into like value judgments i've done Mm -hmm. a lot of talk and therapy (laughs) lately about like not doing that yeah yeah and so i think the thing about derby Mm -hmm. is it's constantly evolving Um, And I think that we are being more aware of this evolution of meeting people where they're at mentally, culturally, socially, physically, all of that. But we also have so many unspoken biases still that we have to identify within ourselves and identify within others um, and somehow find a way to respectfully engage with those conversations with each other. Yeah. I think the key to that is developing systems where we are able to have those conversations in a respectful way Mm -hmm. with our teammates, our league mates, and then our communities beyond that. Um, And that's going to keep evolving because the more a society or a community evolves, the more things nuance and pop up and so you have to just keep having those conversations and engaging with the material um and you also don't realize that your own uh what's the word like your own subconscious biases Mm -hmm. are there until you're put into a new situation um and you're forced to like oh hey i did react that way Mm -hmm. um i'm constantly finding that I think I've come so far and I'm giving myself a pat on the back and then I'm in a new situation or something like happens that triggers a really old thing. And I'm like, Oh wow, I'm not as evolved as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, but also giving yourself space and giving each other space to be in that messy place. Yeah. Um, like talking about running at practice the other day, like giving myself space to have an emotional visceral reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also to handle it, Mm -hmm. take a deep breath and address it later. Yeah. Um, and, or in the moment if I needed to, Mm -hmm. um, and being able to have those conversations of like, yeah, this didn't make me feel great. Um, and if I needed to addressing it with someone else, if it was from someone else's behavior. Yeah. Yeah. 
and so like accepting that we're all flawed human beings. And so that means that you're allowed to be a little messy, but you have to hold yourself accountable for being messy. Yes. Yeah. Both on the giving and the receiving end. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I have been trying to allow myself to just act more spontaneously without overthinking. And that has led to me saying some dumb things that I don't mean just because I spoke without thinking like a little too far on the other end (laughs) or like I've been trying to let myself just like voice when I'm uncomfortable and that's not always appropriate. Usually it is because those are the spaces I put myself in. But then that leads to me having to hold myself accountable and go like apologize to someone, which is very honestly not an experience that I used to have because I just wouldn't say anything. Yeah. And I think that's the important part. Like, so the other day at practice, I had a reaction to recognizing that someone was rostered more favorably than I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I (laughs) vocalized that to a teammate. Mm -hmm. And I recognized after the fact that, huh, I don't want this to get back to that person. Yeah. Because it's not about them. It's about me not feeling comfortable in my skin and feeling comfortable with how far I've come or like how you valued on my value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so after our league meeting the other day, I took that other, my, that teammate that heard the vocalization <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, just want to clarify. This is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. This is the conversation that came up was a reaction to me not feeling like I have value or worth in line with where I think I should um, and having that like value judgment on myself not line up with yeah and like dissecting a lot of things and it was not at all a you know reflection yeah. on this person um, and like that person understood mm-hmm. acknowledged that you know yeah I can see where that would come from and you know we're great and yeah. you know affirmed my value Mm-hmm. to them as an individual and as a teammate and that was great yeah but like those are constant conversations I'm having to have with myself because my value and my worth is it's a muscle that I'm continuing to grow mm-hmm. um and I've just started growing and yeah. baby muscles are really hard to train <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and how cool is it that especially Blue Ridge but like Derby as a space is somewhere that you can do that like what you're saying earlier of like a lot of people don't have these conversations at all never mind in like an athletic arena right never mind like in their closest personal relationships so having derby as that space is just very cool like it's so much more than the sport itself yeah and asking i blows my mind because okay i have always been pretty intentional about my relationships one, probably because I'm neurodivergent, and two, because I've been going to a lot of therapy forever. Um, <laughs> and so, like, having conversations about communication and, you know, that's just the way my relationship works with my partner. Yeah. And so it's weird to me to think that there are people in our league that probably have better relationships with their league mates and more communicative and evolve. That's putting some value judgment <laughs> on there. That's not what I meant. But, like, having more engaging conversations about their feelings and emotions than they do with their partner at home is really mind blowing to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. 
being able to like see that is strange, especially when it's such a communicative space. Like I went to the peer review, peer, peer review, peer, the peer mediator, mediator yeah. training. And I was like, first of all, I had never been in a training like that. So mm -hmm. it was like very eye opening for me personally, but also just like seeing the way that people in our league, the people that have like leadership roles in our league, how much value they put on direct and like valuable communication was crazy and yeah. very exciting. And it's funny because to some extent, there's so much room for growth still. Yeah. You know, like there's still times where like a um, practice session and training fails to communicate something mm -hmm. and it creates, creates like a rift or something. Yeah. Um, and just like one practice, mm -hmm. but there's still so much room for improvement, but at the same time, compared to other leagues that I've been a part of, um, or that I've seen skate mm -hmm. miles and light years beyond in the work that is going into it. Yeah. I guess it's just coming back to that idea of it's a constantly evolving process yeah. and it's really cool to see that work going into it and to be something that we're mindful of. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we kind of touched on this, but like the evolution of wellness culture in Derby. So something Batty said was that like when she first joined, it was all about like partying and just like going hard. And now she sees more wellness culture actually, because it is perceived as this like hard sport to play with like real rules when it was just becoming that when she joined and people still just saw it as like an opportunity to party. And so it wasn't about athleticism and it was more like, oh, if your body's bigger than you take up more space on the track, like 10 points, whatever. Um, so I was wondering like, have you seen it ebb and flow like that? Have you seen? I think there's more voices in the discussion right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, I think post COVID particularly, there was a shift in general on mental health societally. Yeah. Um, I think COVID happened and everybody, because, okay, everyone that I'm around yeah. was in the um, service industry. Mm. And so, or, like a first responder or service industry. And so those were the ones that were getting shit on the most with COVID. And so having to take that responsibility for your own mental health mm -hmm. was a big shift. Yeah. And so now it's actually become something that we talk about and we engage with mm -hmm. as individuals, mm -hmm. as a society. And so I think that's kind of seeped into derby culture too, yeah. uh, especially having had to like literally take a break from derby mm -hmm. and being in those communities. Like, we started out trying to have meetings and like hang out digitally and everything. And then it all fizzled apart and we literally had to deal with our own thoughts and feelings and process all of that. Mm -hmm. And then we came back and we're like, okay, we had the opportunity to like reflect on what's important for us. Mm -hmm. How do we ingrain that into our little micro community? Mm -hmm. um, 
So people who were dealing with alcoholism are more vocal about, hey, let's not have all of our after parties at a bar, or let's not have all of our meetings at a brewery um, for our committee work. And they're more vocal about that. It also like that detracts a little bit from that party culture. Yeah. Um, people who have um, trauma with like wellness culture are more vocal about saying, I'm not comfortable with all of this conversation about um, cross training or I need to make modifications for my body type. Like this whole conversation during warmups and cool downs for me is really new in being able to say, I can't do this. It's really terrifying to say that yeah. um, because I don't want to be perceived as less than. Yeah. Um, and I, it's already hard enough for me to say, I can't do this internally. internally. Yeah. And so to ask for a modification is hard. The lens that makes it easier for me is if I'm having trouble doing something, chances are someone else is having trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I'm going to put this out there, having you be present in the league and be more involved and someone that I can have, I know identifies with some of the same struggles I've had, yeah. makes it easier for me to be vocal for myself. Because I know it's external validation. Yeah. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so all of that's new, but being able to have those conversations also means that like someone seeing it's difficult for me to have a conversation about something, but continuing to have that conversation means they are going to bring up something that's difficult for them. So it's just, there's more voices being heard. Yeah. There are more perspectives. There are still people that have their own baggage and need to work out every day in order to feel like they're an athlete. And that's their path. Like, it's not good. It's not bad. It means they're probably performing to some level that I'm not. But it also means that my athleticism might be more sustainable in the long run. There's, like, different pros and cons to all of it. Yeah. So I think it's just allowing more voices to be heard mm -hmm. and we as a league, I think have done a pretty good job of finding consensus and finding solutions to accommodate all of those voices. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to like add to the conversation? I think it just comes down to, and I've said this before, like continuing to push the boundaries, but also push the social boundaries. Yeah. Um, we need to meet ourselves and meet each other where we're at. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, find value. Okay, so there's a Unitarian Universalist church thing, and I briefly attended for a little bit, but they have seven principles. Okay. Um, it's kind of like Ten Commandments, but like more, it's like guiding ideas. Okay. And one of the first principle of the UU tradition is that every... Um, being every person every you know entity has inherent worth and dignity and i don't know what the rest of them are but <laughs> that like admitting and vocalizing that everyone brings a worth to a community mm -hmm. and we not only have to recognize that but we have to advocate for that mm -hmm. um allows us to build these strengths in communities. And so when we're looking at what makes a derby league successful, mm -hmm. it is a league is a community. 
And we can't look at just rankings and the statistics of it. We have to look at what the whole rounded person, the whole rounded individual. Mm -hmm. So all of those different isms that factor into where they're at. So we literally have to meet everyone where they're at, meet ourselves where we're at, and realize that that is filled with a bunch of strings and trauma and messy crap and just be okay with that. Yeah. And continue to work through it. Yeah. And do you, is that like where the MWR committee came from? Um, so MWR started, so MWR stands for Morale, Welfare and Recreation. Um, and there, it's been around for a while before I left Blue Ridge. Um, and it came out of a place of, we found a lot of clicks happening. Um, I think someone had a birthday party and only invited the all-stars and like the French broads felt really left out. And there was a lot of that happening. Um, and so it was just really, it was very focused on this is what's important is like scoring points and all of that. And less on the well-rounded, everyone is a part of this league and matters and brings something. Um, and so the morale, the welfare and the recreation was a way to kind of bridge that gap between the cliques, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it really had as much effect as we wanted to. I think that it needed to be a larger conversation. Mm. Um, and partly I think that shift with COVID of like everybody just taking a pause and reflecting on their own mental health um, and their own place within a community and why we wanted to play Derby. Like when you have something that you've invested so much into just be taken away from you, you're like, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. And do I actually want to go back into it if it was so stressful? Yeah. And then you're like, well, if we're going to have to rebuild it anyways, why don't we just take the bullshit out? Um, And I think that is what made a big shift. It's like we, as a community, were able to bring all of those facets that we wanted to back into Derby. And it was easier to identify what we wanted to leave behind us. Yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This was so much fun. It was fun. We've had like a lot of conversations offline like even when we first met and at RollerCon, essentially um that I have very much valued and like have helped me to like solidify my beliefs I feel like especially in like the topics that we've been discussing for this episode so thank you for discussing them yeah I will say one of the first times that I think the first time we ever talked mm-hmm. was after you were coming in as a transfer skater, I think to an all league practice. And it was a practice I led and you pinpointed some of the language I used. And I think it was talking about meeting ourselves where we're at. Um, and that like hearing that validated really validated the fact that those words need to be said, not just for myself, but for others to hear. Yeah. Um, and it's had a huge impact on me valuing myself and valuing the like emotional journey I'm on with Derby and who I am and what I contribute. And yeah, so you're amazing. I'm glad you found, <laughs> found value in me saying that. Cause it was like, it was one of the first things you said when you started practice. And this was yeah my first practice with Blue Ridge or any practice ever outside of my original league. And 
you said that we value everybody where they are and like what they bring individually. And I was in the back, just like trying not to cry. <laughs> like, oh, cool. <laughs> like I did join the right league, like, or I was trying to join right. the right league. I th- so like there are days where I doubt that some, like everyone is on the same page, but I know that having that voice and that viewpoint at least makes it more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's important. No. Okay, I'm going to cry now. Love you so much. I love you. Hey, y'all. Editing slash intro, outro, brawl here again. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know I got a lot out of this conversation. Um, T-Dub is someone who is so good about, like, creating space for others and creating conversations around important subjects. So I hope you guys got that from this episode. I'm sure you did. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, I have a couple other episodes recorded already that I am just editing, and I wanted to say a quick note of thanks for being patient with me as I struggle with my brain and long COVID and whatever other chronic garbage has been thrown my way. If you can hear from my voice now, I've been sick for like a week. I've been sick every other week for months. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for your support. Just know that I am continuing to record and will be uploading. It probably won't be regular, but uh, I was trying. My goal (laughs) this season was to upload every Tuesday. And that happened with one episode that happened to be two parts. Um, so I guess I let y'all know when I started this podcast, I am not the queen of consistency, even though people seem to think that I am for some reason. Um, with shit like this, it's very fun for me to create this podcast. I love having these conversations. I love editing them. But sometimes being perceived is not on my list of things (laughs) that I want to do or can do. Sometimes I just lack energy to literally wash my hair. So uh, putting a podcast episode out might not happen some weeks. And maybe other people don't give a fuck, and that's cool. But if you do give a fuck, uh, sorry. (laughs) All I can say is... um, I have interviews scheduled. They are happening. I will upload them when I can. And I really appreciate y'all listening and giving me feedback and rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing it on socials at Derby Survival Guide on Instagram and TikTok. Um, Yeah. Can't wait to talk to more of y'all. And if you want to be on the podcast, if you want to have your perspective represented, you can DM me on Instagram or email me. The email is rollerderbysurvivalguide at gmail.com. All right. <laughs>